Is Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield still alive? That's my new opening line. Uh, welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter, and right next to me is Gary Smith. I was backstage. You couldn't. Uh, no, he's not still alive. He actually uh, is buried near where I used to live in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and his gravestone, you could walk to it from my old place where I lived in LA. His gravestone says, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy, that cemetery is very small, but it, it, there's Rodney Dangerfield is there. Goldie Hawn is there. Uh, Don Knotts from my home oh, wow. state of South Carolina. Mr. Don Knotts is there. Marilyn Monroe is there. And there's always kiss marks on her. Uh, Wait, where? what town is this? It's at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which is in Los Angeles. Oh, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah, oh, okay. where yeah, I used yeah. to live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. I thought you were saying some small town in South Carolina. I no. was like, wow, that's amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> L.A. But there goes makes the sense. neighborhood. Actually, a few of the a few of the tombstones there, because it's a lot of entertainers in that, that little cemetery. A few of them are pretty funny. Um, and some writers and stuff. Now, the big question that I think the audience has right now, Carrie, is... Um, how did Goldie Hawn end up there? Is she working there currently? Is Goldie Hawn's? Oh, I'm mistaking her with a. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I, that's that is not a curse thing to do to get the wrong person. Um, I love Goldie Hawn. No, it's uh, it's what's her name? Uh, who used to be on the posters in the red bikini? You know, the, I'm mistaking her with uh, 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 somebody in chat. Help me out. Save me. Oh, the woman from 10? I don't know what that is. Uh, uh, the red bikini. I, yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> I I can't remember her name. Bo Derek. Bo Derek. Is that who you're talking about? No. <laughs> Farrah Fawcett. Farrah, Farrah Fawcett. Fawcett. Okay. Yes, Farrah Fawcett is very there. Sorry. Okay. Wait, Farrah Fawcett's dead? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Somebody says you can only try to kill Goldie Hawn by pushing her overboard from a boat. That is one of my favorite movies, Overboard, with her and Kurt Russell. I didn't see that Kurt movie. Russell. Also, apparently, Bo Derek is still alive as well. So I just <laughs> <laughs> tried to correct it with a sorry. different alive person. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so this yeah. is where you come for all the latest Hollywood news. <laughs> Welcome to Unsafe Space. We're up on everything. Who, everyone who's alive and dead. It. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, why'd you guys start with Rodney Dangerfield? Uh, why'd you start talking about him? Oh, because he's on our... Beverly picked him for the uh, image for today's show. Oh, cool. On okay. Like, the, on the, in fact, here, I don't even know where it is. Let me see if I can pull it up. Because I don't, we, uh, I don't remember the joke that is on there. But we just rewatched a, uh, Caddyshack the other night, and he wait, was in he it. In yes. Remember. Oh, he is. And he in comes Caddyshack, into the yeah. golf club and is just talking a mile a minute. And it's nothing he says would be okay today. You know, extremely problematic kind of. <laughs> so comedy. yeah, so it's 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 Rodney Dangerfield. It's not cartoon. Sorry, it's an actual image of Rodney Rodney Dangerfield. But the bubble says, "Some of you wouldn't recognize tyranny if it slapped a mask on your face and made you stand six feet apart." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, there you go, Rodney. R.I.P. Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> R.I.P. He's a very funny guy. Uh, 
Yeah. So, well, welcome to Confetti Break. If it's your first time yeah. here, this is a live show that we do on Mondays and Fridays. And we have another series that's usually pre recorded called Deprogrammed. We've had a couple of interviews come out recently. If you missed them, we have an interview with Jody Shaw, who took on Smith College and, and is still taking them on for their, what would you call it, institutionalized racism, maybe? And <laughs> oh, we, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a great name for it, Carrie. Yeah, uh, Jody Shaw. We also got to speak with Surat Chawla, who is a psychotherapist in the UK and decidedly not woke. And that was, we've had so much positive response about that interview and the one with uh, Grace, Culture War Refugee, those three. Culture War Refugee, Ray, Grace, she, you guys may know her. She's the woman who uh, talked about how she and her husband, who own a nonprofit, music therapy nonprofit, had their organization overtaken by social justice warriors. And her story is a great example of one way of pushing back against that. She didn't end up having to fire anyone. I'll, they all quit, uh, but it took a while. So if you're interested, if you have had that happen at your organization, and if you are in a leadership position, I would definitely suggest watching that. So Yeah, if you stand your ground, they will eventually quit because they're not getting their way and yeah. they are children. So and then our children, uh, toddlers, toddlers will eventually start. Uh, they'll eventually give up when they're throwing their temper tantrum at the checkout lane demanding candy and you say no, eventually they'll stop. It just might take a long time. So um, some anyway. other other announcements. Yeah. Yes. Other announcements, please go ahead. Carter this week, Carter's leaving on a jet plane to New Hampshire and I'll, I'll be, be back again. Carrie. Don't know when he'll be back again. I'll be following him later this week. So we're going to be speaking at Porkfest in New Hampshire, which is a libertarian festival. We also, Keith the Hack Guy, one of the moderators, will be speaking there. And you can find out more info at Porkfest, pork with a C, P-O-R-C, fest.org. If you would like to go, there's a lot of different speakers. Jeffrey Tucker's going to be there. Oh, Tom um, Woods will be there. Uh, Dave Smith will be there. Like, yeah, there's a lot of cool. If you're a small government person, there's a lot of people there that you will know and like. And I got to interview one of the founders, Dennis Pratt, if you want to see that interview, mm -hmm. who talks about leaving the left and, and moving towards libertarianism. His dog, his new dog is named Ron Paul, P-A-W, and he's going to be there <laughs> every every morning doing a doggy meetup, which I'm like, libertarians seem kind of cool, or they're sort of like hippies. Like they're doing, yeah. uh, you know, whatever you want to do, we're doing it. Like, we'll do a dog meetup. Cool. Yoga. They're doing yoga in the morning. That's awesome. <laughs> There's, if you anyway. look at the map for the festival, because it's like on a huge property, uh, there's like different sections for everything. There's like kids section, cryptocurrency section. Like there's all these different, just like probably, I think there's probably a psychedelic section. I'm not sure, but whatever. There's like everything all over the place. So uh, it should be fun. I've never been, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so I'm leaving later today. I don't know what our show schedule will be like this week because of that. In fact, Friday might be a different Kofefi break than normal. It may not even be live. I'm not sure. I don't want to promise that it can be live. But we are going to have a lot of unsafe sp safe space people all in one spot in New Hampshire. So maybe something can, can happen. Um, all right. A couple other updates. Uh, book club. July 11th is the next book club. It is Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. 
So if you haven't started, you still have a few weeks. Yeah. Probably fast read, but you can start if you want. Uh, the next one after that is August 15th, which is the Anarchist Handbook. Not the Anar Anarchist Cookbook. Anarchist Handbook. Um, Our book club is free to join and participate. You can get more info at unsafespace.com on the book club page on how to join us. And you can be on camera in the live chat, or you can just be in the chat like today. Yep. Uh, also, Beverly in chat is saying, I wasn't even aware what we were doing on Friday. That's okay, Beverly. It's not that no one informed you. We don't know. Um, let's see what else. We have a retreat coming up in August. And I think I mentioned this the other day. We have, I think, one couple's room left and two beds left, which I put back in the inventory. So if you haven't uh, looked on the website recently, it was sold out. Those are back in the inventory. So uh, you can do that, although time is running out. I think, I don't remember the drop dead date, but it's soon uh, for signing up. And you should have received an email. If you've already signed up, you should have received an email. And if you haven't, go check your email. Um, what else? If you want to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com. There's a donate page there, so you can help us keep going. And there's uh, a store there. You can buy merchandise if you want to do that. Also, you can just like, share, and subscribe. I think that's all the stuff, right? Is that, is that everything, I Terry? think that's everything, yeah. All right. Somebody in the chat is <laughs> mices with little mice. <laughs> it's Mises. It is Mises. And actually, Keith the Hat Guy got me up to speed a little bit on what all what the brouhaha is in the Libertarian Party going on right now. Apparently, I didn't now the show is gonna be libertarian gossip, apparently. I'm not even a libertarian. Um the, I mean, I'm not a big L libertarian. Uh, the national chair and the New Hampshire state chair both resigned, I guess, this week. Mm -hmm. um, after the secretary of the National Libertarian Party, uh, uh, Karen Ann Harlos, uh, I guess she whistle blew on them. On They were playing a bunch of, there was like some corruption and power games going on. And she blew the whistle on them. And... So they had to resign, but their last act um, before resigning from the National Committee was to vote her out of office for improper decorum or something. But they fucked that up, uh, and it failed on a technicality, so when they tried to redo it, they couldn't because they had already resigned. <laughs> so she's still there. <laughs> um, and rumor has it she may actually be at Porkfest speaking. So that's some inside inside gossip, I guess, about what's going on. I don't pay too much attention to it, but it seems like the Libertarian Party is just as screwed up internally as the big D and the big R. Uh, so Politics, bleh. Yeah. They, <laughs> my, my thoughts exactly, Carrie. Politics, bleh. Yeah. So we can move on from politics. What do you want to talk about today? Well, uh, there's a lot of things in the news. Have you... <laughs> Have, have you some. heard? Have you have yeah. some? Okay. Uh -huh. Well, there was there was one I was looking at. This guy who created the mRNA vaccine, who oh, is talking. Okay, so he's talking about, and I believe he did an interview with Brett Weinstein. I haven't seen that interview yet, but you guys in the chat pop in and let me know if that's if that's the one you guys were talking about uh, on our last video. Um, his name is Robert W. Malone. So he's been tweeting about and talking about the fact that the SARS uh, COVID-2 spike protein is cytotoxic. 
He says, he tweets. What does cytotoxic mean? Toxic, some kind of toxic, look it up, but some kind of toxic. So he says, <laughs> that is a fact. Who says so? Multiple peer reviewed references, the Salk Institute. It is the responsibility of the oh, vaccine. Toxic to living cells, by the way, is what it means. Toxic yes. to living cells. Okay. The Salk Institute. It is the responsibility of the vaccine developers to d demonstrate that their expressed version is not toxic. Show us. Mm. And so then I saw this because our friend Clifton Duncan was tweeting about it. Um, he also linked to an article in Salk News. I'll send this to you guys right now. Is it the um, one about the spike proteins being, because I read that article where they, they did the spike protein tests on, and it turns out just the spike proteins themselves are enough to break down, uh, infiltrate and destroy cells. Um, that might be it. It's, it's talking about additional illnesses and stuff. And mm -hmm. so he's basically saying, you know, Yes, this normal, is the one I, we talked yeah. about this article actually on Coffee Break. This is the same article. Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. So can we pull it up that. for okay. a second, though? Yeah. I so think really should so it, right? he's saying like any normal person, just listen to what he's saying. This is the guy who developed the mRNA vaccine. And all he's saying is that we should be asking a normal society would be asking because we know that the spike protein is toxic to cells is cytotoxic. We know it's toxic. So we should be asking these vaccine manufacturers to prove that the spike protein in their vaccine is not toxic to cells. And we're not asking that. And so Clifton had a great point. He was like, you know, this guy is going to be pilloried and we're going to, and he's probably going to be treated as some anti-vaxxer when he's the guy who developed the MR, uh, the, the whole technology of an MRNA vaccine. Yep. But he's going to be smeared. Um, yeah, and if I if I recall from this article, it's the the spike so the vaccine the spike proteins are used actually to infiltrate the cell and get the uh, mRNA mRNA through the cell walls and into the cell, and um, the idea is that it doesn't last forever, so it kind of like it takes over your cells. They start producing the anti um, the antibodies, and then kind of. I guess goes away after a few that's, days or yeah, that's weeks. What they that's say. the yeah. that's the argument. Um, and I assume there's tests they can do to do that. But yeah, I mean, but this guy seems very rational science. You know, science sure. sort of rational minded. <laughs> he invented like the mRNA stuff. Like that's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's good resume. But, but we we live in a uh, this world that we're currently in. This upside down world has so. Uh, the propaganda is so thick from the media and the, and the cult, the sheep are so on board with this idea that any criticism or any rational, calm questions or discussion whatsoever should not be allowed. That's crazy town. You know, they've been told that that's crazy, that, that people like him are going to get attacked. And then Clifton also shared this. I just sent you guys a tweet thread. This is from a woman whose nephew, 13 year old nephew just died three days after his second COVID shot. And what Clifton was saying about this, which I thought was true, is that is that she tragically lost her nephew. Um, he said son, he got it, he got it, he, he made a mistake there, but it's her nephew. Tragically lost her nephew, but has to make sure everyone knows that she is pro-vaccine and that Fox News is bad. And if you read this tweet thread, 
you see her having to make these caveats. It's so crazy, these caveats you have to make nowadays, right? So she says, a week ago today, my brother's 13-year-old son had his second COVID shot. Less than three days later, he died. The initial autopsy results done Friday were that his heart was enlarged and there was some fluid surrounding it. He had no known health problems, was on no medications. Our family's devastated. I struggled with putting this out on Twitter. I am pro-vaccine. <laughs> like, see that caveat right there? It's like, don't come for me, please. I'm pro-vaccine. We vaccinated my own 14-year-old son as soon as it was available. I know it is mostly safe, but Jacob is dead now. The CDC needs to investigate this. There have been other cases of myocarditis in young men receiving their second Pfizer shot. Have others died from it in the United States or is my nephew the first? I think parents should be warned of the risk. I do believe that the vaccine is saving millions of lives, but should any innocent child be a sacrificial lamb in this endeavor? There are moral, ethical, and health questions that need to be answered. If Jacob had not received the second shot, we believe that he would be alive today. I got to my brother's house while the forensic team was still there. A police officer present told me a member of the team speculated that Jacob had a quote, cardiac event. And then she links, she links to a news article that says seven boys aged 14 to 19 suffered from a very rare type of heart inflammation that looks like a heart attack. It's one that the public health officials are beginning to link to the COVID-19 vaccines. I just wanted to read that because what makes me really sad and angry about this, and it's what Clifton, Dun Clifton or Duncan was getting at in his tweets about it, is just that how it's, it's upsetting that, that her nephew died. What makes it even more tragic and upsetting and makes me angry is that she feels the need to make all these caveats and even talking about it. It's like to even mention it, you have to say, oh, by the way, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm surprised she didn't say, I, I voted for Biden. I, you know, don't come after me. Like you have to make all these tribal pronouncements first before you yeah. can even talk about this. Because why? Because her own tribe will come after her otherwise, you know, will smear her. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think you and I have repeatedly talked about the problem here of not being able to ask questions and not being able to have nuanced discussions and not being able to look at, um, you know, weigh risks and benefits to things. It's just a religion. And you have to say the vaccine is great and everything's awesome about it. Now, by the way, Correlation doesn't equal causation, so we don't actually right. know what what killed this boy. And, um, but the the fact that you're not allowed to ask the question, you're not allowed to you ask, been allowed to, that's the problem. And and nothing should make you more suspicious than not being allowed to ask questions in a situation like yeah. That's all the evidence you need. You're not allowed to ask. Uh, so. You know, that, that to me, the chances are very slim that everything is on the up and up if you're not allowed to ask, right? Can you imagine going to a car salesman and saying like, well, uh, I'd like to buy a car. Okay, great. You can't see it though. You just have to buy it. You can't look at it. You can't ask any questions about it, but trust me, it'll be a great, it's a great car. Everyone needs the car. It's a great car, but you can't ask any questions. Well, maybe it is a great car, but if you can't ask any questions, isn't it a little bit suspicious if you're not yeah. allowed to get any information? Isn't that isn't that a little bit weird? And if someone's like, hey, he asked questions about the car, get him. And they like yeah. come after you with pitchforks like, well, 
you start to wonder if there even is a car there because you're not allowed to ask. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the mentality. You know, you're reminding me. I'm going to go old school for a sec. Watch this. Okay. This is called <laughs> Youngins, Gen Z. This is called a newspaper. Um, they used to come. What would happen is they would deliver them to your house physically um, every day. And old people would read them. Dad would sit at the <laughs> breakfast table and read the newspaper. I make this crinkling noise. Uh, now and the, we kids, use it for, and the kids would uh, on Saturdays they would include cartoons. Cartoons, yeah. And you would yeah. get the Doonesbury <laughs> comic strips and Garfield. You would, yeah. And um, they would be yeah, in and color. Then it, then it would be kin- then it would be uh, kindling for your fire afterwards. You'd put it by the fireplace. It'd be a stack of old newspapers, and uh, and if you had cheap parents they would take the comic book section and use it as wrapping paper so yeah yeah or if you it was, lived it was with a hoarders, magical time <laughs> if you lived with a hoarder they would just add it to the stack right the... <laughs> they would add it to the rat's nest <laughs> on the stairs they just keep getting bigger <laughs> there's i i want to share an opinion piece this is the wall street journal and i and like i don't like a lot about uh, the wall street journal but uh and obviously this is an opinion piece but it's by a guy named uh, O. Carter Sneed. Um, sounds like a Dr. Seuss character. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Sneed. Mr. Sneed wrote this article. And he's, he's talking about, it's actually a review of a book called What It Means to Be Human, The Case for the Body in Human Bioethics, published by Harvard University Press on October 13th um, during the COVID pandemic. And he's talking to the author about how um, the mask mandates and actually the isolation in Zoom is changing the human experience to um, reducing the human experience to a digital one rather than an actual in-person human experience. And this book was written prior to COVID, so it wasn't contemplating COVID, but it was particularly relevant. And then he goes on, and I won't get into a lot of stuff, but he does talk about, you know, some things that we've talked about, like, hey, life is full of risk, and you got to weigh risk, and like everything from getting into a car to doing anything has risk, and you, you can't just, you know, you, your risk tolerance can't be zero for life. That's not that's not how the world works. But he quotes this. This is interesting to me because what he quotes here is um, a quote from philosopher Pierre Manette. Manette. I'm not sure who that is. Um, he has a, a book called Beyond Radicular Secular, Radical Secularism, How France and the Christian West Should Respond to the Islamic Challenge. This is published in 2015. This guy's talking about burqas, but I'm going to read this quote because you might be able to apply it to Fauci burqas. Here we go. The burqa, Mr. Menent writes, is inadmissible because it prevents the exchange of signs by which a human being recognizes another human being. It is by the face that each of us reveals himself or herself at once as a human being and as this particular human being. The visibility of the face is one of the elementary conditions of sociability, of the mutual awareness that is prior to and conditions any declaration of rights. To prevent visibility, one's refusal to be seen is an ongoing aggression against human coexistence. Europeans have never concealed the face except the executioners. Yes. I want that quote. 
That's a great a, quote, right? Do I have to get an old school newspaper to get that quote? <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> Thank you. It's oh, a really good quote. That's what my preacher talks a lot about this, about he has a whole sermon about the ritual, the symbolic impact of masks. Okay. Not the medical. He's like, like save that argument for somewhere else. Let's talk about symbolism and ritual and what is this doing to us? People don't want to have those conversations. Some people do, but a lot of people, a lot of the, the, the mass, the, the sheep, whatever, whatever you want to call them, they don't even want to talk about that. They don't want to consider these things, but he, yes, it covers your whole face. That's the way, that's the way that you th think about online interactions and how much easier it is to misinterpret tone and intent and what people are trying to say and, and how much easier it is to take people in bad faith rather than good faith if, because you can't see their face. Um, yep. And this is happening all, it's been happening all over the place for the past year, especially little kids. This is how they learn, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And this guy, this guy draws a parallel to exactly what you're talking about. He's saying that some of that toxicity that we see from Twitter, um, I think it was this article I was reading where the guy was saying, like, he literally has neighbors who would never talk to each other the way that they do on, on online, but they, they're, like, vicious to each other vicious online. online. Um, and he says, like, some of that behavior gets translated into reality when you're covering your face and you can't yes. see the other person. Well, we read these studies at the very beginning of the mask mandates. Remember, I, I was looking up, I was trying to find studies about masks and mm -hmm. I found a lot about the efficacy rates. The, if you want to have the, the medical argument, the medical function of masks, I found a lot that showed they don't really seem to help at all with a pandemic at all, which is what Fauci was originally saying. But I also found studies about the psychological impact of masks and they told us what we, what you should, what common sense should tell you that uh, people were more likely to engage in reckless behavior or shameful behavior if they were wearing a mask than if they weren't. Well, duh, <laughs> it's like being online. Yeah. And so uh, there were a few, there was one they did with um, uh, kids and candy, uh, Halloween candy, where they were told they were given rules about how many pieces of candy to take. They found that kids wearing the mask were more likely to break the rules and take more than they were supposed to than kids who were not wearing a mask. They also found that uh, for adults, the threshold at which they could get you to do something embarrassing was lower if you were wearing a mask. So something in publicly embarrassing, if you're wearing a mask, they could get you to engage in behavior you wouldn't otherwise do, or that would take of more course. to get you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like robbing a bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people wear, I mean, masks are, a, use conceal identity, but B, throughout history, are used ritually to intimidate and to create the sense of an other, right? It's 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 a it's a dehumanizing, um, it's a dehumanizing tactic. It, it's set it's it's used to set one person apart from someone else. If they wear a mask, like uh, even just in a in a you know, think of like a medicine man or something. They put the mask on, like they're supposed to, you're not supposed to look at them as human anymore. They're like a yeah. different thing. They're no longer one of you. They're, you know, portraying, you know, I don't know a lot about medicine it's, men, but whatever, they're portraying something and they're, they're being they're the different. other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said about robbing a bank because some of the banks just, I mean, didn't engage. That's, that's when you really, 
you could see who's taking this stupidity so far that it's they're in, impacting their own business and their safety, the safety of their employees. I have a friend here in, in Texas who works in a bank. They were robbed during the mask mandate part here in Texas. Their bank was allowing, I can't remember if they were requiring or allowing the masks, but a guy came in with a mask, robbed them. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen? So then they got rid of their in-person. Then you couldn't come inside the bank anymore after that. You had to do the drive through but That's either way, solution. yeah, that was the solution. How about how about say you can't wear a mask in here? It's a bank. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, how about say no mask? And then I went into a bank last week here in Texas, a different bank, and they had a, a thing. Uh, it said, at, at least it said masks were optional because that's what a lot of places in Texas are now saying is optional once we got rid of the mandate. So they said it's optional. Um, but then I saw they had a, uh, oh, they didn't have a sign. We were told this. So, so we didn't wear masks. I, you know, anybody who's new to the show may not know this, but I pretty much didn't wear one all year. Um, we don't wear the mask, but we're wearing hats and we sit down in one of the little side offices with the woman and she's like, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to ask you to take your hats off. Hats aren't allowed in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but masks are? I don't understand. Sure. I'll just put my hat over my face. <laughs> Here, let me just put it right here. <laughs> Human beings are so we can be we can be very stupid. Our policies I, can be very stupid. <laughs> yeah, I went to this little convenient mart the other day that I frequent, and there's usually almost no one in there. So I know the couple guys that work there regularly because I see them all the time. And um, and you know, in California, there has been a mask mandate up until the other day. And so um, I hadn't been out since the mask mandate was was lifted. So I wasn't sure, I hadn't been reading about it. So I was like, is it lifted? Like, is it required? I don't know. So they ha they still had their sign on the door for wearing a mask. And so I'm like, all right, I'll you know, put my mask on. Um, and I went in and it was oddly full. There was lots of people in there. Everyone had a mask on. So I started second guessing myself and I was like, oh, maybe, Maybe I got the date wrong. Maybe, maybe the mask mandate hasn't been lifted. I don't know. So I just asked one of the guys who was wearing his mask, and I said, "Oh, you guys still requiring masks?" I guess. And he said, "I am. Like my boss is making me wear one, but no one else has to wear one." <laughs> and I was like, I looked around. I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." So I mean, I took my mask off. I was like, "Okay." Um, and he didn't have a problem, but all the other people in the store with the masks were like giving me a. Yeah. Sideways glance. What am I doing walking around when it's legal to walk around without a mask? Yeah, um, it's conformity. It's, it's social pr pressure. And what's going to happen is what I've seen here in the more woke areas of Texas, like Austin. It's just it just takes time because all the people like, uh, gosh, what that what's that idiot kid? OK, Harvard. What's that guy's name? <laughs> David. David Hogg. Hogg. <laughs> Sorry. You just had to say the idiot kid. Yeah. <laughs> What's that guy's name? <laughs> David Hogg. Remember he tweeted, he said exactly what we knew to be true, but I always appreciate it when they're honest. And he said it out loud. Like a lot, a lot of them said it actually. He said, he said he's going to keep wearing his mask because he doesn't want anyone to think that he's a Republican, which is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, first of all, you're dumb enough that you fell for the, you fell for the Republican Democrat uh, schism on the mask issue, which was manufactured. That's not even a real thing. It's not like 
it's a Republican thing not to wear it and a Democrat thing to wear it. That's dumb. It's, it's actually where people fell on that naturally was, are you an individualist or, or, or do you believe in the state? Are you an authoritarian? Do you believe the state should tell you what you have to do? And then the media tried to turn it into a right left thing to control all of us like puppet. That's how they do it with everything. So first of all, you're really stupid. If you, if you think it's a right left thing. And second of all, you're beyond, you're not just stupid, but you're a weak person. If because of that belief, that wrong belief, you then say, and I'm going to let that affect my behavior. And I'm going to continue muzzling myself so that nobody accidentally thinks I'm in a different political party than I am. That's you're weak. Wow. You care so much what everyone else thinks about you. Like what a spineless little worm. So that, that, what ha anyway, where, my point, I got off on my David Hogg. Oh, my point is that because there's all of that fear, it what I've seen happen in Austin is they, it just takes time. So the first few start taking it off and then a few more and then a few more. And once people like David Hogg look around and say, OK, there's enough leftists that I know of who are not wearing it now, I can stop wearing it, too. They're just complete followers, spineless worms who just follow. So, yeah, you know, I. Before this mask thing goes away totally, I need to bring this up because it's something that m maybe I'm weird for this, but I've been thinking about this since the mask thing started. Did you ever play the game Half-Life? Like Half-Life no. 2. Half -Life I know 2. the game, but no, I never played that one. The bad guys in Half-Life 2, I think they're called the Combine. They wear these like mask things like this over, I think they also have goggles, but they wear these mask things. And I think one of the reasons that the game does it is it makes it less gory to have them be humans. I mean, there's there's plot line mm -hmm. reasons why they're wearing those as well, but it also kind of makes it less gory because they're you know they're less human. And this entire time, all all I can think about when I see people running around with masks, I feel like I'm playing Half Life Two. I feel like those are all these combine all around and I gotta like make sure they don't see me and <laughs> like sneak around because they've taken over the city yeah and they're trying to destroy humankind and that's not super far-fetched I guess but no it's not it's I don't know there's something useful fiction is it provides fiction is very useful sometimes because it gives us good allegories for describing things that might otherwise be hard to describe like feelings or emotions that aren't completely uh, that you can't really put into words with re reason. I know we defend everything with reason, but sometimes your gut or your intuition is telling you something about a person. And it's like that person over there is sort of like, I can't really explain it, but they're like the combines and, you know, it just gives yeah, you a absolutely. good shorthand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to clarify something about reason because I think reason is misrepresented. Reason is the means for reaching mutual agreement between people. Like you can't, refer to objective reality without reason. But reason doesn't deny the fact that you do have a subconscious, you do have, uh, you, your subconscious does make decisions or produce feelings based on very quick calculations that you're often incapable of breaking down and, and give you data about, at least about your feelings with respect to the world. They might not be correct, but it doesn't mean you throw them away. It's irrational, it's actually irrational. To, to, to be like, I get this really bad feeling about this guy, but I'm going to hang out with him anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, the rational thing to do is be like, 
Well, I don't know the reason for that. I'm not going to like say he should be arrested, but I feel uncomfortable and I'm going to assume that my subconscious is picking on some picking up on some stuff that is justified making yes. me feel uncomfortable. And you know, Gavin DeBecker wrote an excellent book about this called The Gift of Fear, um, I which I highly recommend. Book. Okay, so uh, you you yeah. have there's a man jogging. Carter, Tiger's got to hey, tell Tiger. him to stop. You know, we were talking. I'll, I'll, I'll talk while Carrie's muted. We were talking at her wedding about how you guys in the audience, you only have one particular experience of Tiger, which is you only hear him when, like, you only know of his existence when he's being obnoxious. He's barking at mailmen or other people. But actually, uh, and I don't even really like pets, but actually Tiger's like a sweet, fine dog. 99% of the time, He's super sweet and nice and fine and unobtrusive and like super nice to you and just an excellent dog. There's that one percent where like the mailman goes by or actually Mikey Harlow, not on Tiger's good side. Uh, <laughs> he, he might get upset a little bit, <laughs> but uh, for the rest of us, he's fine. So don't don't take what you're hearing now to be representative of Tiger's no. general demeanor. It was really good for for Carter to hang out with us with Tiger because it's like yeah Tiger's really chill he's he's sort of like a cat dog he he just sort of he's he's comfortable being on his own he does he's not one of those dogs that needs constant validation and attention you know that always have their mouths those dogs are sweet and I watch a lot of those kind of dogs but you know the ones that are always like <laughs> yeah like, yeah 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 he's not like that at all he's completely sort of like yeah he's, totally, he's chill he's, he's really he's chill. chill and he'll judge you he's like. And if you come on too strong, Mikey was coming on too strong. He's like, "Why are you coming on too strong?" It's like the people. It's like the people trying to get you to take the vaccine. All the propaganda. I'm like, "Why are you trying to get me to take the vaccine?" So he's hard? like a cat yeah. in that way. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like I don't like people you, who like me. What are your motives? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Minda, the answer to your question in chat is the gift of fear. And for parents, there's another book called Protecting the Gift. Uh, and actually, I think it's the same psychological or phenomenon that is outlined in Blink, the Malcolm Gladwell book. I believe it's actually the same psychological phenomenon, but Gavin DeBecker talks about it with respect to personal security. Um, so I not, not other stuff. This has been in in I don't know. It's just been in discussion recently with people that I know, people on on Twitter, with Josh Slocum, other people have talked about this, and. Someone, another person recommended that book to me this past weekend, The Gift of Fear. So I, re I really have to read it because one of the things I was saying was uh, there's this Twitter Twitter um, user named Antihero Kate. I know some of you guys follow her. And she had tweeted something that made me think about like how we are conditioned, some of us, I think it's a parenting thing, but we are conditioned and at least society tries to condition us not to listen to our gut or our intuition and well sometimes they, they they condition you to listen to your gut and intuition if it means uh demanding the political change that they like like i feel i feel unseen you're invalidating me you're invalidating my existence <laughs> yeah. like that's just all feelings but like spilling out just like right know, guts that have been slashed open right but but i think that's a little not different. with anything else yeah don't you think that's feelings are a little different than like if your gut is off on someone, I'll give you a good example. Um, my, uh, this girl that used to live with me, she had a friend mm -hmm. who would come over once in a while. And I don't know why, 
I just got a bad gut feeling from the friend. And there was nothing she had done to me or it wasn't, in fact, she was a little overly like, like people being overly nice to Tiger at first or trying too hard. Right. She tr tried a little too hard, maybe if anything. And it, and my, but my gut was just pinging. I, I, I don't know. I just got, I couldn't even describe it. Just got a bad feeling. And then later on, I found out from another friend who knew her, all this awful stuff that just sort of confirmed, like you say, trust your gut, but verify I had no reason to right. distrust this girl until much later. And then I heard how she had done all these things to this other person I knew. And, right. um, but it was just a weird, that that's not really an emotion or feel like I feel invalidated. It wasn't like she had done anything to me or hurt my emotions or no, anything. No, but I still, I still count yeah. it as an emotion because it's okay. in, it's uh it is a feeling. It's not one of those feelings, but it is a feeling and it's inexplicable. It's not a feeling tied to like, like when you're when you're when you're crying, you're not like I'm crying because I've concluded that blah blah blah. No, you just you're sad. Like you just <laughs> feel that way, right? Yeah. And the same thing with this. It's just a feeling. You haven't like concluded why that person makes you feel creeped out or weird or you don't like it, but it's it's just kind of a feeling. Yeah, I guess um, I I guess I separate out the gut ones because they often you can't explain. Uh, it's not like this person hurt me or did anything. It, they seem. The ones that the ones that we're told not to trust are the ones that don't seemingly make sense. It's like, why is my gut pinging about this person? And right, right, no, yeah. and I think there, I think if there's a distinction there, it is that what we would typically call intuition, although I would still classify it under the category of feeling, uh, is it's a category of feeling for which there is really not any identifiable reason like if you're sad you might know it's because so and so wronged me or because blah yeah. blah yeah. or i'm angry because right okay uh and with with intuition it's like i don't know why actually i have no i don't know why but i still feel a way um and I, I don't know i don't know the answer i don't know the reason for that carrie but maybe it's because we have i one of the things that i think we've really has been a disservice to humans is this idea of the split between the mind and body, this mind-body dichotomy, where we've taken reason and science and and elevated, we've in some sense elevated reason and said it's you know the most important thing, which which I do agree with. It is the it is the only way to reach conclusions about the world objectively and 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 communicate that to other people. However, we've also narrowed its scope to say, um, it has nothing to do with this other stuff. So when you feel a certain way or you have an intuition, um, you basically feel like you have to do one of two things. Either always indulge those feelings because reason isn't allowed in that scope or just reject them because you've, you've decided you're dedicated to reason and so you're rejecting all those things. And both of those things are irrational. Mm -hmm. um, I think the healthy thing to do there is to say, okay, well, I'm going to act based on this with some with some caveats, right? You're not gonna, like I said, a guy makes you feel creepy. Well, you don't you don't call the cops on him. You don't like, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you don't you don't take action against him because you don't have reason to take action against him in that way. It's it's wrong of you and unfair. However, there are actions that you can take that that don't require proof or evidence and you might want to take those yes like and crossing the street or yes. doing whatever like 
getting away. Like, don't feel. And I think if that happens to you, it is your responsibility if you want to live as a conscious human being to afterwards try and analyze why. Because one thing that happens in Gift of Fear is he does go back post-mortem and talk about why certain feelings, certain intuitions, certain gut feelings about people were happening. And, and more often than not, it turns out there were actually reasons. You just couldn't process them fast enough to know why they were there. Yeah. Uh, to know that they were there. And that gives you a lot of, that's an introspective process. It's It helps you in the future understand what your intuition means and what it doesn't mean. And maybe it helps you feel better about following your intuition in certain ways not because you'll be able to identify. Maybe you needed to call the cops on that guy, but you couldn't identify the reason. And in the future, next time you will be able to because you'll be like, oh, I have that same feeling. Last time yes. it was because of ABC. I'm going to look. Yeah. ABC is true. Oh my God. I Now I have reasons. I can take even better action. Like yeah. That's how you grow and learn as an individual. And it's your responsibility to do that. And it's not anti-reason to do that yeah. at all. No, it's... it's uh... It's basically, I think your gut has sort of evolved to, what's that lecture? I heard Jordan Peterson giving a lecture once about monkeys and how baby monkeys, they know what to do when they see a snake, even though they've never seen a snake oh, before. Right. Mm -hmm. Because their DNA, because of evolution, because they're, if, if you believe, I know there's some people don't believe in evolution, but they're, then you can say they're designed perfectly to know what to do to see a snake, I, even though. I think though, we can dismiss people who don't right. believe in evolution. I don't know. I'm not ready to do that, but you can. Anyway, <laughs> you can roll your eyes at me all you want. I am rolling my eyes. It's I fun. heard Go a ahead. pretty interesting lecture about it, but I'm not going to open up that wormhole. All right, all right, anyway, um, but so uh, uh, the point being, they know what to do when they see a snake, even though they've never seen one before. And I think our gut is sort of similar, and it and and sometimes it pings and it it tells you that there's maybe no reason that you can identify, but your your gut is like that's a snake. That person is a snake, and you're okay, I'm going to, what you've taught me and what I've been learning in the past couple years is to, instead of dismissing the gut is to listen to it. It's not always right, but try and verify why is it pinging? You have to, you have to have, like you said, evidence and verification later, but at least listen to it and don't utterly dismiss it. And I've gotten better at that in the, in the past few years than, than I used to be. And, and you know, that story, see this social justice ideology in some ways tells you to disarm your gut and that story I gave you is a great example of, of when I was in college, um, I was at Duke and I went to my first dismantling racism training, you know, dismantling internalized oh, yeah. racism training. It was put on by Amnesty International. This was back in. So this stuff was happening over 20 years ago. That's I was I was in one of these seminars and I had just gotten back from that. And, and part of that programming that happens, that brainwashing that happens is they tell you to disregard your gut and to question everything because they're telling you, look, you have, in, you have innate gut is racist. Yeah. <laughs> your gut's racist. You are innately racist because you're white. That's just the way you are. And you need to second guess yourself all the time. And, or you're innately sexist or you're innately homophobic, whatever. And there was that night, my friend and I were walking back uh, off of East Campus from a Mexican restaurant pretty late at night. And this this guy started approaching us. He was a black guy. And he says, I'm going to fuck you up, like from way down the road. And I immediately, <laughs> I know this sounds insane, but my brain, my social justice warrior started arguing with myself. 
my instinct was to go a different way or to go, <laughs> go the other way. But my brain was like, now, wait a minute, you know, are you, is this your inherent racism coming out? Is it because he's black that you want to go the other way? Maybe you should, what this ideology does is it actually turns you into a racist because if he so were horrible. white, I know, because if he were white and he said that, you wouldn't feel bad about going the other way. You're going to be like, go the other way. And you're like, okay, God, I will. But if, because he was black, you're, the social justice programming is now telling you, oh, no, you must treat him differently than you would a white person who said that. You must evaluate it and everything. So I kept walking. We kept walking towards him. And then well, who, we had. I had never asked this question because right. I'm going to pause here because I've never asked this <laughs> The guy you were with, what the hell was wrong with him? He was very drunk. He was more drunk okay. than me. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. We had been at this cantina and yeah, he was not, uh, he was not useful that night. He also ran. Remember later on when he saw the cops, he ran and left me with the oh, guy. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we ended up being with this guy for uh, a period of time. And he, uh, for anybody who hasn't heard the story, he told us he was going to shoot us and he kept gesturing to his pants. Like, don't make me get my gun out. I'm going to shoot you. And, he took us to the ATM. Like we walked to the ATM back by anyway, it was a long thing. And then the cops were involved and they ended up, they ended up taking the guy into custody that night. And um, there's more to the story, but the point I've told it before, but the point of that story is that this ideology told me, don't listen to your gut. If the person's race is X, Y, Z, don't listen to your gut. Or if their sex is X, Y, Z, don't listen to your gut. It, it turns you into a racist and a sexist. And it tells you treat people differently on the basis of these things. And don't listen to your intuition, you know, that is designed and has evolved to protect you or, or was created to protect you. Um, so anyway. Well, I, the other <laughs> thing I want to say about intuition is I think it is, it can be it's not like just a static, your intuition isn't just, I mean, there are the examples of like, uh, monkeys and snakes and that kind of stuff, right? But intuition isn't just this static, genetically produced thing. It's informed by your conscious. And I know I've given this example before, but like, if, if, if you are not into fine art at all, and someone shows you a painting of uh, the Mona Lisa or whatever, and they say, you can look at it for five seconds and tell me if it's fake or not. Tell me what you think. Tell me what your intuition is. Is it fake or not? Well, you probably won't. Your intuition will probably not be very well correlated with the correct answer. But if you spent 30 years as a fine art critic and detector of forgeries, and that has been your job, a quick glance at it might actually be enough for your intuition to go, Ugh, that feels off. I don't know why yet, because I only got to look at it for five seconds, but it feels off. And you might be actually highly correlated to the correct answer because your intuition in that subject has been informed by a lot of knowledge that you've kind of internalized and digested and has become a part of your life. It's why, you know, it's the same reason why like soldiers retu returning home from war um, sometimes like see a lot more threats everywhere than everyone else because their 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 senses are in tune. They're they're in they're they were in a different environment. They adapted to that environment. Um, they learned to behave in certain ways and that changed their intuition about people. So um, it's not a static thing. Uh, and I think one of the things that parents can do, I always, I'm always talking about parenting. 
one of the things parents can do, and this is something that I've been doing with my daughter since she was really young, is um, you can help train that. So like when we go, I, the part of that story I didn't say just now was we, my daughter was with me and she also took her mask off uh, when I had this conversation. And usually when we go out, we get back in the car afterwards and we have a conversation about like, if one of us thought someone felt weird or if there was something odd and then we kind of have why and you know sometimes it'll be like yeah there's that guy with the uh, you know two different color socks and the sandals that smelled like he was homeless and like and we're like yeah i felt weird about him too what do you think it was and we just kind of have that conversation and kind of validate that oh you know what both our intuitions were triggered by that guy right um and it kind of helps helps them to kind of validate that that's it's not something to be completely ignored. And and actually, sometimes other people validate that same feeling, and that's actually extra information. Like, oh, there's another conscious being that had the same feeling. That's interesting, right? So, uh, all right. <laughs> Joe Vlog yeah. says, if you're not in the Louvre, you might not need five seconds to figure out. Yes, yes, I thank you, Joe. <laughs> we'll do the test in the Louvre. How's that, Joe? All right. We do some um, super chats before we move on, so we don't get yeah, behind. Yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time for some super super chats. Yeah, uh, do you okay. want to do some? You got some sitting there. I have a few queued up. Let's see. Go ahead. Uh, TPS says, "Thank you, TPS." Says COVID nineteen may cause myocarditis. I need to learn that word myocarditis more, but we must study these side effects. I'm a hundred percent pro vax, but I likely will not COVID vax my kids. The risk benefit just isn't there for children. I agree. I actually had someone TPS on Twitter. I, I couldn't believe this person. At some point, I, I just thought, are you pulling my leg or are you really letting this religious like cult programming sort of uh, disable your intellect? Because they were saying to me that their grandfather got the COVID vaccine because their grandfather has this myriad of health problems and is older and all this stuff. And I said, Yes, exactly. So your grandfather's cost risk, uh, cost uh, or, sorry, analysis. cost benefit, right. cost benefit analysis is different than mine, for example. So we're, we're all, it's all going to be different. And he said, this person said, no, it's the same. Everybody has the same cost benefit analysis for COVID. No, they don't. That doesn't make any what sense. What are you talking about? That's, that's just <laughs> no, that's absurd. Not true. That's just not true. You are. It's, at a it's, it's actually provably <laughs> and objectively false. False. Yeah. It's, false. You're, it's objectively false. That's not a thing you get to have. Well, my opinion is this. Well, your opinion is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it's objectively and provably true that different categories of people have different risks with COVID. Like, yes. The end. Duh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. Thank you for that. Cheeky Bear. Gives us a ten dollars super, super subi chat. Thank you for the subi chat. <laughs> Says asking questions might reveal that something the left is afraid of is real. They don't want their own eyes open. They want to keep their head in the sand and just hope everything will be okay. This, this yes, mm -hmm. this is a psychological thing I've noticed happening where people don't want to. I think I've even shared here. I know people who uh, have loved ones who've said, "I don't want to be red pilled." Like. I don't want my eyes open. Like they're, they're, some people are even cognizant of it. Most people I think are not, they're not cognizant of their fear of having their eyes opened, but, but, but yeah, people don't want, remember the movie, the matrix, the guy that screws right. everybody over and he says, put yeah. me back in Cypher. the cocoon. Cypher. Uh -huh. 
He says, yeah. I know it's fake, but I just don't care. I want to go back in there and have my delicious fake $10 steak or whatever, $50 steak. I hope it was more than $10 steak. <laughs> <laughs> you don't buy steak often, do you, Carrie? No. <laughs> I remember for my college graduation, my grandfather, he who had a farm with cattle and stuff from South Carolina, he came, he came up, the, we went to a really nice restaurant and he was looking at the prices and the waiter came over and he's like, he quoted one of the steak prices. He said, I could buy a calf on the whole market for less than this. <laughs> like, it was just really like on the open market. Okay. Uh, Bina City Cycling, thank you, says, I spent some time recently in Texas and I can't tell if I forgot how friendly Texans are or if it's the general lack of masking. I think Texans are very friendly. Carter was just here. What do you think? Well, it may be both, but I did think Texans were were friendly. I mean, they were definitely friendly. I mean, it's hard to tell because we were in a small town and small towns are some, sometimes friendlier, I guess. But like I, I ended up speaking with some random people on the street a couple times in a way that I would never do in California. Like they and it was, you know, they were friendly and nice. So probably it's just Texas. Uh, it depends on where you're from. If you're from New York, the answer is it's Texas. Uh, <laughs> if you're from somewhere else that's friendly, but wears masks, maybe it's masks. Um, yeah, Texas yeah. is pretty cool. Christopher Gorey. Thank you, Christopher. He says, they're coming after the flag now. Macy Gray started the nonsense, but I predict it will gain traction. They want us one by one to have nothing left. Yeah, I saw this. She's saying that the stars and stripes should be done away with and we should come up with a new american flag because the american flag represents slavery and white supremacy mm. and stripes so are binary right and blah 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 <laughs> it's so it's they want to they want to you can speak more to this than me carter but you know the maoist cultural revolution they have to do away with everything that gives you a, a sense of unity as a country mm -hmm. as a nation as one tribe uh, everything from history that unites you together and that gives you a past, um, it must be done away with. They have to get rid of statues. They have to get rid of the flag. As you mentioned, making Juneteenth a national holiday, in my opinion, was not a bad move. It should have happened probably a while ago. But calling it Independence Day, I think, is a bad idea. And it, it sets it up to then have two separate segregated kind of independence days. Why would you do that? And what's going to happen to our actual uniting, like the actual independence day is going to be called what? The right. I, I would, I would go so far <laughs> as to say, it's not a bad idea. It's an intentionally malicious idea. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think that they mistakenly named it that. I think they named it that with full intent of, of the effects that it will cause. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, it was the four olds, right? They try, they got rid of the four olds, which were old ideas, old culture, old habits, and old customs, right? They got to get rid of the four olds um, and start with year, year zero. The French uh, did the same thing in the French Revolution. Um, you know, they, they coined the phrase ancient regime, which literally meant like yesterday, right? Like... <laughs> They suddenly call it the, the ancient regime. That's over. It's ancient. Uh, we're starting, and they started their own calendar in France. Didn't they it do? Didn't yeah, long, the new calendar. But they started their own calendar. Year zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. They, yeah. they both did this. Like, let's start over. Yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's the that's the intent. And this, you know, we've said this 
I feel like we said this a while ago, and I, and I remember when I first said this, I don't think it was, it sounded more radical than it does now. But remember when we were first, we were looking at this social justice stuff and we were trying to wrap our heads around like, at least I was, I don't want to speak for you. I was trying to wrap my hand around like, what are the uniting characteristics? Because you got this postmodernism from the trans community and you got this like, actually Kimberly Crenshaw in Critical Race Theory, like explicitly rejecting postmodernism mm -hmm. or postmodernist arguments and like trying to find a unifying thing. And it was hard to wrap my head around. And the one unifying factor that I found was, oh, you, you don't have to figure out what they're all for. It's what they're all against that unifies them. They all are against Western civilization, personified in white heterosexual males. So like they're against Western civilization. That's the unifying factor. That's what they have in common. There's lots of infighting. There's lots of disagreement about everything else, but they are united in their goal to tear down Western civilization. That's the united goal. And so that's why, um, that's why they're going to go after, that's why they go after statues, it's why they're going to go after flags, it's why they want to, uh, they'll eventually want to rename, you know, they've renamed the Juneteenth to be this National Independence, Independence Day thing, hoping to undermine actual Independence Day. It's why they, it's why they go after all of these, quote, old institutions, or it's the four olds, kind of, of, of the US. They want to get rid of this old stuff. It's why they talk about language. It's why they're trying to destroy uh, language that's been that's been in use for a long time. It's why they try and resurrect racist meaning to language that's no longer racist, but they want to relabel it racist so it can be racist again, so they can eradicate it completely. Like it's just all the motivation is the destruction of Western civilization. So yeah. nothing they do, think of anything that means Western civilization. I mean, they, they're infiltrating the military. Everything that you might think means traditional Western civilization in a good way, stuff that you they like, have... limited government, and all of it will become, they'll go after the constitution, they'll go after the declaration of independence, they will go after the flag, they'll go after the military, they'll go after like everything, the, the gun culture, right? Freedom of speech, like everything. They go they after go the after family, they go after the family, they go after fathers, I mean, speaking family, of- Family, yes. We just, we just had Father's Day and this was maybe the first year where, I mean, I've always, Father's Day, taken time to think about my dad and and what he means to me and what I love about him. But it's the first time I thought about fathers as a group. Like, what do they mean? What is the meaning? And mm -hmm. and maybe because our preacher had all the fathers stand up and then do a, a prayer for them specifically. And I was just, I don't know, just thinking about how that role and the things that you associate with fatherhood and, and what a father should provide to a fam to his family, not just his kids, but to his wife and, and to society, to the community, that all of that is being torn down and denigrated and devalued. And I don't know, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. 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 But mean, it also makes you take that. It also makes you take a holiday like Father's Day more seriously. There's a positive thing that comes out of that. I'm never going to yeah, take it lightly anymore. Yeah, we're simultaneously told that uh, men are toxic and and irrelevant, or should be, you know, that men are toxic and horrible. And yet, fatherlessness is one of the most, uh, one of the largest factors in contributions to bad outcomes for people. Yeah. Crime and, and psychological problems and everything else. So yeah. 
if if men are that toxic, why is not having them around your children worse for your children by far? Yeah. But yeah. You want to do some more super chats? We got we got a few. Yeah, more. I'll let you do a few. I'm just going to grab. Okay. Uh, I'll do the next one. Adam Coleman. Hey, Adam. Uh, he says, David Hogg exemplifies the difference between being intelligent and acting intelligent. He may be able to fool Harvard administration, but we aren't. I don't, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't think he fooled Harvard administration. I think they, I don't believe that they thought there's a young lad who meets our fine academic standards. I think they went, there's an activist that we want at our school. Um, that was it. That was it. It's like having a oh yeah a star quarterback yes uh, for, like, for Notre Dame. It's like I don't give a crap that you can't spell. <laughs> you're you're not maybe I'm quarterbacks can maybe spell more whatever linebacker. I don't know. Like I don't give a crap that you can't spell. You're you're in because you're awesome at whatever it is you do. Uh, and he's awesome at being an activist, I guess. Adam Coleman, by, by the way, is has a new article out for anyone interested on wrong speak publishing about the conflict between Christianity and woke ideology. I think it's a really great piece. Just wanted to plug that since, since you're here today, Adam. Uh, let's see next one. Thomas and Thomas says, just read this morning, quote, the unconscious mind of man sees correctly, even when conscious reason is blind and impotent, which is Carl Jung. Oh, Wow, what a great quote. I've never heard that one. I don't actually agree with that quote. Really? Yeah, it's obviously false, right? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's patently false, right? That's not true. Like, when reason is blind and impotent, sometimes the unconscious mind is fucking wrong. Like, sometimes it's just wrong. Sometimes your intuition is wrong, dead wrong, 100%. Uh, so, but like, you can't, you can't just be like, it's always right. Like, you know, it sees correctly. Yeah, sometimes it does. And you should certainly take it seriously. Uh, and if it's telling you you're about to get mugged, you should run away because uh, that's a dire consequence. If it's telling you that, like, maybe this person might be slightly rude, then, you know, you probably don't need to run away from that. You can mitigate that and go figure it out later. Um, so, Yeah. I really like Sorry, that Thomas. quote. I, I well, I'm not apologizing because I really like it. Thank you for sharing it. I'd never heard that one. Um, I would like the quote if it said "sometimes sees correctly," but but then it's not as insightful. It's like it's not. It's wrong though, unless it does that. So that's I it's rhetoric. It, I, it's fine. I get it. Uh, it's, retor it's rhetorical. It's not uh, supposed to be. Uh, Dialectic. Okay. G-Man says, David Hogg is like an aging porn star. He got tons of attention from a small group of people for one thing. Now that the one thing is no longer relevant, he has no idea what to do with himself. That's a good, that's a good analogy because even though I said he was awesome at activism, I'm not, that was really wrong of me. Like it's not really, he was, he's an actually awesome at activism. He just was popular. So what happened was Harvard married the porn star. <laughs> at the height of her career. And now she's looking a little bit, <laughs> a little bit ragged around the edges. Uh, my mama something. Thank you for your super chat. Nothing there with that one. Omara. Oh, I know you. It's lady. a thumbs up. It was a thumbs up. Yeah. Sticker. Thank you for the super chat says the gift of fear. And when violence is the answer should be companion books. Mm. Is that the same author? 
No, that's Tim Larkin is when violence is the answer. Um, but they would make good companion books. I'll fight you naked says tiger squirrels everywhere. Yeah. Tiger also looks like a squirrel. So when I take oh, him to the dog. Not that bad. Well, when I take No, but when I take him to the dog park, he does. Because like yesterday, oh. he was playing with a Doberman. And then a bunch of other big dogs came. And they started chasing him like a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> when he runs really fast, like he looks like a rabbit. Uh, Johnny Boy Quick Draw says, I'm late. So apologize if it's been mentioned. But data from Pfizer in Japan shows that the spike protein does not stay at the point of injection and, in fact, accumulates in ovaries and bone marrow. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I have to read about that. Thank you. Uh, I also don't know. Even if it is true, I don't know if we're allowed to say it on YouTube. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Susan. Uh, I'm sorry. We read a super chat, Susan. Um. There are some true yeah, things you can't if it say were on true, YouTube. If it were true that this that the that they because of that so the vaccines use the same spike proteins that the coronavirus does basically to not I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it's a subset or something. I'm I'm not a biologist to, to get to penetrate the cells. Um so if they are accumulating in one particular spot, uh, I could see there being extra damage theoretically in that spot. Again, they're supposed to be transient right they're supposed to be ephemeral is the better word it's supposed to be ephemeral i don't know how long they last so still penumbra syndicate says did anyone else did anyone see Lori lightfoot's recent letter i think there's a reason why all the woke cathedral priests and rulers are insane people i did not did you see this no i want to read that yeah. now you do the next super chat and i'll pull it up all right thaddeus maximus good day thaddeus says fiction book club recommendation on basilisk station by david weber book one of sci-fi series about war between a, con a constitutional monarchy and a socialist authoritarian state pretty typical or sorry topical in my opinion cool uh i will check that out i you're making me think of uh what's his name mencius mulbug i i someone that i've always wanted to read more of who makes I think I think he makes arguments for constitutional monarchies, um, which are not like I think. Let me correct. I think he makes very strong arguments for constitutional monarchies. Uh, and the last one, oh, not the last one. Uh, counter zero underscore seventy four. Counter zero seventy four says original Star Trek did a great job exploring reason versus emotion. Spock was logic. McCoy was emotion. Kirk was the balance. Good stuff. Yeah, I know that that's, those were the archetypes. Um, but I don't, I actually didn't like, I don't think Spock was actually rational. They had him, it's not rational to not have feeling, like to, to ignore your feelings. It's, that's not rational. Um, and obviously McCoy couldn't be completely emotional. I, I, I've heard that before. I don't think it was that. I still like Star Trek though. And obviously, Kirk was the best. Um, Andrew Knapp says, this data from Japan about the spike protein is true and was covered by Brett Weinstein with the other doctors on the Dark Horse podcast. Oh, cool. Did oh, they get wow. kicked off of YouTube for that? Well, they did get a strike. Have you heard this? Did they? YouTube is I going after. I heard they after... got a strike, but I wasn't yeah. sure for what. 
I guarantee that's what it was for. They're they're Wait, well, I shouldn't say that. I think that's what it's for. They they were go but they're going after Brett Weinstein, which I think is is pretty incredible uh and ballsy of them. They've gone after smaller channels before who have not said anything that is that that should give them reason to to, to go to be gone after, but they're small. So to go after a big platform like that and someone who himself like Brett Weinstein is a progressive. He's on the left. And when he brings people on, he's a scientist. They they bring on scientists with evidence to talk about truth and science, the pursuit I'm of science. Sorry. You're saying they what? brought on Dr. Fauci? <laughs> no, they were talking about science, which he means is they were talking science, about Dr. I, Fauci. My understanding. I just wanna you can't talk about science, which means you can't talk about Fauci. Oh, oh. <laughs> I see. I know I'm a lonely uh, engineer, but my understanding is that science is Fauci. Is Fauci. Uh, so I just sent you, this is kind of crazy. Thank you, Penumbra Syndicate. If you're ready, I want to talk about this email. Um, oh. Yeah, so first of all, I sent you the email, which we should sent, pull up. You sent it to Beverly, right? She can pull it up. You okay. and Beverly. Okay, but okay. but zoom in. You can take us off screen because we have to be able to see this. It's very small. Um Newly released email. I'm going to read you what the New York Post says about it first, then, then I'm going to go through it. But just quickly, there's a New York Post article that says, newly released email reveals Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot dressing down staffer. A newly released email from Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot dressed down a staffer this year over a, uh, offers a glimpse into the turmoil behind her turnover-plagued administration. In the condescending message sent to then-aide Taylor Lewis in January, Lightfoot demands more office time and repeats every sentence more than a dozen times in some cases. Okay, so look at this oh email. God, look at this. Yeah, this is like not, she is not a well person. Uh, I thought you had the wrong email pulled up because I was like, well, this clearly is not a, like a, a letter from a mayor. So this is the email. She sent this to one, two, she sent this to Taylor Lewis and copied two other people. The subject is office time. And for anybody who's just listening and not reading along on screen, this it looks very weird. It, the first sentence is, since my prior requests for office time are routinely ignored, I am now resorting to this. And then there's a whole paragraph where she rec repeats the same sentence over and over. I need office time every day, exclamation. I need office time every day, exclamation. I need office time every day, ad nauseum. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And then the next paragraph says, not just once a week on or some days, every day, exclamation. Not just once a week or some days, every day, exclamation. Not just once a week or some days, every day. And that goes on. That repeats more and more and more. And then the third paragraph is breaks or transition times between meetings are not office time. Breaks or transition times between meetings are not office time. Breaks, are, and she repeats that. And then the fourth paragraph, if this doesn't change immediately, I will just start unilaterally canceling things every day. If this doesn't change immediately, I will just start unilaterally, and it repeats that over and over. And then the final paragraph, have I made myself clear? Finally, question mark, exclamation. Have I made myself clear? Finally, question mark, have I made myself, and on and on and on. <laughs> and so she really only had five <laughs> sentences to write, but maybe she was remi reminded that her fourth grade teacher said, Paragraphs have to have more than one sentence, so she <laughs> just repeated them. This, so she could have five paragraphs. This is to me is the inside the mind of a disturbed person. You're first of all, it reads like 
what reads like a Stepford wife, like a robot, which is what sort of they are. Like they oh, are robotic. I, I, it reads like a, I don't even think it reads like a robot necessarily. I look at this carry and I see, uh, a, a certain level of narcissistic insanity. Yes. Like, narcissism. What a toddler, what a little temper tantrum she's having in this email. Yeah. Who sends an email like this? I mean, I've been mad professionally at incompetence. By the way, it might not shock people in the audience, but I don't have a lot of patience for incompetence. I've, I've been mad. I've gotten upset. But no one would think about writing an email. Like, this email does not convey the... This doesn't accomplish the purpose. It just makes her look like an absolute lunatic. Yeah. Who would want to work for someone like this? You know, the thing is about narcissists, though, is I think some of them, I've been listening to this really great YouTube series that's helping me understand. Why are you laughing? I'll work in no place. That makes Lori a film. It's like the shining. It's the shining. Pirate Tomsky says, right. I'll work in no play, make Lori a dull mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pirate Tomsky. I'm sorry for Don't laughing. I, was just, I saw no. that super chat. I couldn't help it. No, <laughs> I've been um, I've been watching this series about narcissists that is helping me to understand them a lot better than I'd had before. And one of the things this guy is it C-SPAN? Because uh, I've seen that. <laughs> no, no, this is oh. a YouTube channel. It's by a narcissist who's trying to help people understand narcissistic personality disorder more and. He divides narcissists into people with this personality disorder into three types. He calls them the low levels, the mid levels, and the high levels, like himself. He's like the narcissist of narcissists. He's the ultra. I'm the best narcissist that there is. Yeah. <laughs> the best one. Anyway. At least, look, at least the guy has some <laughs> self awareness, and that I appreciate. Right. So. Um, so anyway, in a series, based on what I've been learning from this guy, I would say Lori Lightfoot is sort of low-level or mid-level narcissist where they don't have enough understanding of normal humans to know when they are doing some, they, they step out of bounds quite a bit and they don't know when they're doing something that makes them look bad. And so this kind of email, mm -hmm. instead of, instead of saying, you know, cause most, mostly what I'm gathering is that narcissists, they wear, they get close to people and they try and steal their um, character traits that they think they need to present themselves as a normal human. So they'll, if they like someone for their ideas, they'll get close to them and take their ideas. They'll get close to them and take, they'll try to appear to be friends with people who are charming or authentic or sincere because they want those traits and they don't have them. They'll steal mannerisms. Even they'll try and mimic the way they talk, the way they laugh, the way they cry, the way they experience emotion. And for the lesser ones and the mid range ones, what he's saying is that they're not very good. They're not very good at that. And so there's always a pause. There's always, even for the very good ones, there's always something a little bit off and going back to your gut pinging when you're watching a person and you're like, like Hillary Clinton doesn't laugh like a normal person. She cackles. It's like, she's putting on a laugh. It's like, I've studied these humans and this is how they laugh, you know? And, and so, uh, uh, they often, I think these low level, mid-level narcissists, they, they show their hand to people who are observant because they don't realize sometimes, hey, this doesn't make you look good. Like a good, this doesn't actually look like what a normal person would do. They miscalculate in their attempt to uh, do an impression of a, of a stable person. And so I read this email and I'm like, she has no idea writing this, that this is not what normal people do. 
No. Like that, that, that this is shows that you, something's wrong with you, but she probably looks at this and says, what? I'm right. <laughs> Incidentally, I, like, I think a psychopath would be better than this, right? A psychopath would know how to yes. mimic better. I think so. Right? But they, and those are two different, I mean, in so much, it, in so much as it just helps people understand. I mean, I think a lot of psychology we've talked about, Mm-hmm. It's just trying to give people words and language to better understand these personality disorders. It doesn't mean that they're automatically distinct, but but they are two different cluster B Categories. personality disorders. Right. Yeah. yeah, is psychopathy, psychopathy even a cluster B? I don't know. If, yes, is it? it's the it antisocial okay. personality disorder. Yeah, okay. and I think some people have both. Like some people are narcissistic right. and sociopathic, or you know, borderline and narcissistic things like that. But this is someone. This is to me is someone who's a narcissist who is not good enough at 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 is no ted bundy yet we'll put it that way (laughs) like like right yeah but my understanding of psychopathy is that psychopaths actually do lack like i don't know if it's like if you stick them in an fmri i think they don't have the ability to empathize at all like they, they literally don't have it right but no, narcissists they don't. do. They just they, are jerks. No, I don't think narcissists have the ability to empathize back. Oh, I wrong. think so. I think it's really? like, no, I think it's psychopathy specifically that does not have it. Because because even sociopaths do have it, I think, right? I'm not totally sure. I, you no. know what? I'm not going to speak out my ass. We should get someone who knows. I don't, I don't know. But actually, I, I've got someone I'm working on that I want to interview okay. about narcissism. But but actually, no, narcissists, at least the way this series, this guy describes it, is like, no, they do not experience empathy. They don't know what that feels like. Hmm. And and again, you, I'm talking about people who actually have personality disorders. You, he, Narcissism is a, all these things are, they exist, as Josh Lucum talks about in Disaffected. They're all human traits. It's... You, you you can be you and I both have elements of narcissism. Everybody has an element of narcissism. It's about it's about um, tamping those things down. Like you and I can both have any normal human can have bits of rage or or whatever. You ha- sure. you learn how to mitigate those things and have fewer of them. It's like 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 the Carl Jung quote: "The line dividing good and evil runs down the heart of every man." But people who have NPD, like the pers- narcissistic personality disorder. It's just all narcissism all the time. That's where they live. It's not a, it's not a, once it's not like, oh, my ego, that's my ego getting out of hand. I need to pull that back in. You know, that was, I was in the wrong. They don't even have the ability to realize they were in the wrong. They're never in the wrong. There is no self-reflection. It's always outside attackers. They're always the victim of everyone else, you know? Okay. Anyway. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of people commenting on stuff oh Narcissists i mean feel this empathy is but they express it when they stand to extract a feeling a fleeting self-worth from it it's less gray matter and psychopaths yeah i don't know i'll, I'll sort through that later we i will read beverly says i believe narcissists also have lack of gray matter for empathy from what i've read before then she yeah. clarifies and says less gray matter less gray matter um, i know that's true for psychopaths i know psychopaths have like there's something physically wrong about psychopathy um but i don't really know uh i don't really know about any of the other stuff so any regardless um lay people can just call them all assholes yeah and that's a fine category 
<laughs> Greg the baritone says you bring up Hillary when we have uh, Kamala. Yeah, Kamala also does the affected laugh. It's the fake laugh yeah. thing. It's off, and it makes your gut do creepy things. Like, ooh, why? Why is my gut doing that? Because it's fake. <laughs> like, it's a well, weird. This is an interesting thing, though, right? Because those two both have a lot of fans, and and this might be oh. this might be an example of if people were not raised or for the, if, if people were raised in an environment in which that's normal, then that weird affectation doesn't bother them. No, it doesn't. Or they, they also, um, I mean, narcissists have a lot of fans and sycophants and people, they, they're very good at collecting them. There's a great article in thought catalog, uh, by Shahidi Arabi. I sent you this one. It's been a while. It's why do people believe narcissists rather than their victims? And this is a this is a great uh, piece, but it says, uh, let me just read part of this. It's a head scratcher, and perhaps you've been there before. You gain insight into who the narcissist really is, but because narcissists have enablers that work on their behalf, carrying out their dirty work for them and ensuring that no one sees that the emperor has no clothes, it's a predicament for anyone who has tried to navigate the sinister workings of a world designed to serve these manipulators. The chameleon-like narcissist shows multiple faces to the public, each one more duplicitous than the last. They blend in easily to any social group they are part of, but there's one catch. There's usually a target they like to zoom in on, usually because they possess the perceived qualities of empathy, compassion, integrity, and coveted resources. Narcissists are pathologically envious of anyone who dares to outshine them or steal the spotlight, whoever presents a threat must be extinguished. Their light must be dimmed in only the covert fashion the narcissist knows how to employ. Um, unfortunately for that target, and lots of times there's multiple targets, he or she will become privy to the true self behind the narcissist mask. This is terrifying, a, a terrifying yet revealing experience that both alienates and enlightens the victim. This form of covert abuse can take place in romantic relationships, familial relationships, the workplace, even within law enforcement. It can take place in any context where a narcissistic person is able to manipulate someone else. Um, and so it says, so how and why does a narcissist get away with it? There are several reasons which I explore below. This part, just I know I'm reading a lot of this. This is so interesting. Impression management. The truth is that narcissists are very adept at impression management and managing the ways others perceive them. They will appear to praise their victims in public, all while criticizing and demeaning them in private. They will provoke their victims into emotionally reacting, and they will use these, these reactions to the, uh, to the abuse to depict them as unhinged. This is the way they both simultaneously isolate and covertly abuse their loved ones behind closed doors, all while making their victims look like the abusers to law enforcement. I've seen that. I've seen someone make their uh, victim look like the abuser to law enforcement, uh, to their social networks and to society as a whole. Moreover, narcissists know how to build a stellar reputation. They will defer to those they know have more power than them, at least momentarily in order to find out how to manipulate them. But they will also hunt the seemingly powerless on the down low. They will appear to be conscientious about the feelings and ideas of others when in reality they are gathering intel as to who is vital for their agenda and who must be diminished so they can take the throne. They are collecting information to see which weak spots they can exploit and even which strengths they can use against the victim to make their target feel most powerless. But it goes on and on about how they build people up first 
they take the character traits that they think they need from that person, the things that made them value or envy that person in the first place. And then they set about destroying them and belittling them. And they do that to more and more targets, but they have these, uh, the series I'm watching, he calls it their coterie of enablers, like the flying monkeys or whatever. They have these people who you sort of, those people are fascinating to me who can't see through it and who they get something from being part of the coterie and, and, and denying, denying reality. It, you, you know why it's also interesting to me, Carter, I'm on, I know I want to run here, but this is, this is what we're seeing. Like Josh Slocum talks about, this is what we're seeing in society at large. You have the cathedral, this sort of unholy Trinity of the, the media and uh, uh, entertainment and, and government. And they're all gaslighting us and telling us they're feeding us propaganda. And then they're telling us that it's up is down and, and down is up. And once it becomes obvious to you and you see through it, like seeing through a narcissist, you're like, but look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. It's right out here in the open. Like they're editing headlines on the Washington Post to cover their tracks. They're they're pushing this one thing and, and they're they're censoring scientists and they're censoring and smearing anyone who, who tells the truth. And then a year later, they're saying, oh, that was the truth. And then they're hiding their involvement. Like, look at what they're doing. And the crazy thing is, again, the coterie, the flying monk, whatever, those people who buy into it and protect them and shield them and go on social media and speak and, and attack others for pointing out the truth. Those people are fascinating to me. I don't, I don't, they're not, they don't just buy into the cathedral. They, they go out and work as little puppet puppets for it, you know, like little foot soldiers. I wonder what that psychology is exactly. Um, yeah, because usually when there's like a codependent relationship, once you define one side, you can kind of figure out what the nice puzzle piece is that matches the other side. Um, and I'm wondering what that puzzle piece is of, of sycophants, narcissists, yeah. like sycophants to narcissists. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what it is? It's like, I've used this before, this analogy, but it's like, uh, when I see these people online and, and unfortunately I've tangled with one of them as people know, they're not normal. And, but they, they're like that. They remind me of the can that cannibal in Germany who put out an ad who was like, I want to eat people. Please respond to my ad, you know, <laughs> yeah, knife and, and fork in hand. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And people did. And they were like, eat me cannibal. Like, like the sycophants are like the people that respond to the ad. They're like, I'm here. Carve me up. <laughs> like so weird. I don't know. Yes, you know, Sun King just said something in chat, which I was thinking, but I can't justify it, so I didn't speak it, but I'll I'll speak it anyway. Uh, he says the sycophants are mini narcs or lesser narcs. Yes. Um, and that seems to make sense to me, um, like because they get to be they get to ride on the coattails of the success of the greater narcissist, um, and so they get some power and authority there, but it's. Um, but they, maybe they have enough self-awareness to know that they're, or maybe they would take over the main narcissist if they could, they just if they could, Yeah. Yeah. They're um, like, somebody hmm. just said vulnerable narcissists. Yeah. So this series, and you guys can watch the series if you want, uh, I forget the name of it, but the guy's channel is, his name is HG Tudor, T-U-D-O-R. He has a really excellent voice and he could be a voice actor. 
So it's also pleasant to listen to, but he's like, I'm a narcissist. I'm here to tell you about, you know, it's like that, <laughs> but he's British but, then. Yeah, he's British. I can't really do that accent, but uh, I got anyway, yeah. anyway, he talks, he says, yeah. So he gives examples too. He's got different series. He does. He has one about the, what's her name? Who's married to the prince, the, the big narcissist in the Meghan news, Markle. Meghan Markle. He's got a whole series about Meghan Markle using her as a case study, as an example. And he talks about, the coterie who stand up to like, I stand with Megan. And, and he mentions a few of the celebrities who've done that. And, and he says, yes, some of the coterie are also they're they're mini narcs They're I guess you would put oh, it that okay. way. They're lesser narcs. Yeah. All right. But, well, there you go. All well, right. That was a long, um, yeah, I no, get that in, was a you long know, I get diversion, true, but it was good. True crime and stuff. And then lately I've been into the, the narc stuff, like read, reading and listening yeah. to that. And, there's so many different rabbit holes you can go down on YouTube, people doing interesting content. And this one just blew my mind. I couldn't believe there's a narcissist who's like, I'm going to do a show about what we are. Okay. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like with those interviews with like Ed Kemper, where you're like, yeah. you're so honest about your evil. Yeah. It's refreshing. <laughs> like, refreshing. There's something like refreshing about it. Like you're, you're evil. I'm not sure you should be allowed to live, but yeah. wow, you yeah. are self-aware and totally honest and transparent. It's like, it's, and this, it's fascinating. Yes. And there's something about this guy, HG Tutor, where he talks about, he talks about, he says, narcissists view people as appliances and we want to keep our sure, appliance on. We get fuel from it, you know, and even if it's negative fuel, like if we attack you and you respond back. We love it because it gives us more fuel. We don't, we don't care. You're still, we're still plugged into you and getting stuff from you. And uh, he, he says, uh, he says, you know, they like to plug into people who have empathy and try and they, they love to plug into empathetic people. And, and I was thinking as he was doing this, that over the time of listening to some of his episodes, I've developed an empathy towards him. <laughs> <laughs> where, I'm like, where, I'm like, where I'm like, well, he can't be all that bad. He's like here trying to help us understand Carrie, narcissists. No, no, Carrie, I know. No. I'm like, I kind of want to be his friend. <laughs> like, like, no. I'm like, he wouldn't. He wouldn't treat me that way. Of course he would. <laughs> of course he would. Oh I'm God. like, I want to get on the show. Are you one of those women who would write to convicted criminals in prison? No, I don't know. Do you have a know. girlfriend, Mr. Manson? I actually did. Uh, this is a weird fact about me. Uh, Damien Eccles from the West Memphis Three. I transcribed his first book from prison when he was on death row. Wait, who's Damien Eccles? From the West Memphis Three. They, they've since been um, released. They did an Alfred okay. plea and were released. But um, his first book, which was called Almost Home, he wrote the whole thing, hand, hand wrote it, and I uh, self-published it for him. Because this comedian I was working with at the time, Margaret Cho, got very into his case and started, she started conversing with him in prison and writing with him and then um, and then had me help him with this thing. So, uh, so the answer to that is technically yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. He's got another. Beverly's mocking now. me for not knowing who the the West Memphis Three are. <laughs> All right, I'm not. I'm not as interested in crime as Carrie is. So, Lutra says, yeah. Carrie, I feel you. It's why I always fall for their charms. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
I know you had things to talk about today, and I completely no. This has been interesting. A diversion, but an awesome one, and it was good. Let's do a couple super chats. Uh, Matt Decker says, "My best response to a Kamala laugh is, do you get like this when you're nervous? When asked, they immediately show their nervousness openly. Try it. Oh, interesting. Mm. So if you hear that, you just ask them if they. Oh, you do you laugh like that when you're nervous? And then maybe they'll because you've just made them nervous by asking. <laughs> yeah." Uh, Ken Lipson says, it's not about diversity, it's not about justice, it's about power. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, because I don't remember what we were talking about that relates to that, but you're correct. It isn't about diversity or justice, it is about power. Uh, so you're correct nonetheless. I have a few, like, I mean, I had a few stories that we could talk about that weren't good news things, but I, let's, since we're close to the end here, because I do want to wrap up soon, because I got to pack and get ready. Um, can I share a few good news? Yes, items? yes, I would love that. Um, so my favorite good news item here is, well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but representative, so you remember Representative Marjorie Taylor Brown? Yes. And remember how she's a little bit QAnon-y, I think she believed at one point that there was Rothschild lasers starting wildfires and stuff. You know, okay. she's got a little bit of conspiracy theories going on, which I might not agree with, but you know what? I'd rather have I'd rather have Alex Jones and, and that kind of stuff. We have, so anyway. They have their own conspiracy theories. So they've got the rest of the Yeah, it's fine. On. Like I, I don't I don't have a problem. I don't really have a problem with that. Like, you know, I probably wouldn't uh it'd be hard to live with someone like that, but you know, fine, right? So anyway, she, I, I have found a piece of legislation, I think, I haven't read it, but based on the headlines, I found a piece of legislation that I could actually vote for. Um, so, which is a big deal for me. Let me see if I can pull it up. All right, here she is. She's gonna explain the legislation. Are you ready? Yeah. I just introduced the bill to eliminate the ATF. The war on gun owners' rights has been waged long enough, and it's time to stop it. Yep, you heard that correctly. If you didn't hear it, what she said was she just introduced a bill. I'm sure it won't go anywhere, but still. She introduced a bill to eliminate the ATF. So. Oh, wow. You can get behind yay. that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's why they are going after her so hard in the media? There, sometimes when they go after people, I wonder, is this person, is there a legit reason why? Or is it is it because they view them as a threat of some kind? Do they view her as a threat? I don't know enough about her. Yeah. Okay. I think they view her as a threat because for the same reason they view Alec Jones as a threat. Yeah some of the stuff sounds a little bit crazy and i think frankly sometimes alex jones intentionally uses metaphor um but doesn't say that it's metaphor so it sounds even crazier um but i think they're afraid because she's not bought She's fighting for what she believes. Now, some of what she believes I disagree with. I, As much as I dislike the Rothschild family, I don't think they have secret space lasers burning wildfires. 
And I don't know that she actually, that's just one of the things she's alleged to have believed. I haven't seen the direct evidence of that, yeah. but whatever, right? Like, um, yeah, she, she might say things like that or she, she might believe that, but she sticks up for what she believes and she doesn't bow. I mean, think of the, the intestinal fortitude it takes to continue with that belief while being attacked by the mainstream media. Like, nope, right. that's what I think, right? right? Um, that's scary because she is an independent mind making her own decisions and drawing conclusions, not all of which I agree with, fighting against them. And she's generally, clearly uh, a little bit anti-big government. I mean, she wants to abolish the ATF. Like, that's a that's very scary for the left. Yeah. So she's clearly a political enemy. Um, and she's not one for whom she's not one that I think they can they can buy off, right? She's they're not gonna like most Republicans, they're just gonna, you know, catch them at a cocaine buy party or with a hooker and like blackmail them or, you know, or even just some or or lesser things like, well, your career would be better if you supported this and you should really compromise and blah blah. She's not about compromising. She's not gonna compromise. Just says her thing, yeah. does her thing, and fights the battles that need to be fought. So, um, yeah, I, I actually, I did not have a super high opinion of her before because I didn't know a lot about her. And I was just hearing, like, I was like, okay, she's, you know, I, I knew that she was kind of anti-establishment. So I liked her for that. But I also heard a lot of crazy things about her. Um, I think that's part of what this makes hear. me like her a lot. Yeah, I think that's, that's maybe why I was questioning because... I was hearing a lot of crazy things about her too. And whenever that happens, I wonder why it's almost remember America's frontline doctors, how they went after the one African, the black doctor in particular, and they found some crazy, supposedly some crazy thing online where she had talked about demonic possession years ago. And yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they tried to smear hers and say, well, mm -hmm. because she believed in demonic possession, then she's an insane person. You shouldn't listen to what she says about treating COVID. Don't, oh, doesn't the Catholic church believe in demonic possession? <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> I believe in demonic possession. <laughs> You're I'm, I'm just using like a large, powerful <laughs> institution accepted by mainstream yeah. society and some like, yeah. you know. Um, uh, I think also demonic possession is sort of just a way of understanding something the same way psychology we talked about psychology is a way of understanding something like a lot of what we call personality disorders today probably a long time ago would have been called demonic possession and it's just a different yeah i mean i like it as a metaphor about. yeah yeah i like it as a metaphor in fact um i was uh i was reading the i'm still reading the iliad and i was reading the iliad the other day and there's this part in the iliad where Homer personifies strife, like, um, and like strife, like sent down as if strife is a being and strife does stuff uh, and like gets people riled up. And we were actually having a discussion in this book club about like, what's the value of personifying strife versus just saying, you know, Zeus made them feel strife. Right? Yeah. What's the value of saying like Zeus plucked this person strife over here and sent strife down to do some stuff? Um, and there is something, there is something metaphorically valuable to thinking of strife in this case as like an actual entity that's actually out there doing stuff and playing games and trying to get a result and like trying to rile you up and interacting in a way like 
it it that personification actually does help the metaphor. Um, and so even you don't have to be you don't actually have to believe in Zeus and it being named Strife, but you can see that the metaphor is like, oh, this actually is a good way to think about some things that are going on now. That's a yes. valid metaphor. It's actually um, what you're saying. Oh, I got to find it. I just got this old book recently. Well, it was a few months ago about uh, all the Greek myths and stuff. And it's just been so fun to read that. And I, I think that this, this goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning about how fiction sometimes gives you a shorthand and way of describing something that other, that you can't describe without poetry or without fiction or these, these right. analogies and yeah, personifying emotions or per personifying something like strife. I think that's really useful. It's become useful for me lately to sometimes think of people with personality disorders as being possessed. Uh, it changes the way you think about it a little bit. Cause then you can also try and maintain some empathy for the person. I was going to say, it probably elicit empathy a little bit, right? Yeah, because then you can view it as sort of this thing has gripped them, whether it's ideal, possessed by ideology or possessed by evil or animus or whatever, the narcissism, It's it, you, you can sort of see them as a person in the grip of something. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, so I, I think that's good, although now that you're saying that, I'm like, I guess there could be some downsides too, because it might prevent you from actually taking action to defend yourself against them uh, if you're if you over empathize with them but yeah um, yeah some empathy is good um all right crap my car can you hear my car alarm yeah i can it randomly goes read some super chats or something i'll be back i'll turn it off okay guys <laughs> i get i get tiger distractions he gets car alarm distractions being in the bay TPS, thank you, says the attack on Dr. Emmanuel was super racist. Oh, yeah. So Dr. Emmanuel was that the African doctor we were talking about. Um, I think she's based here in Texas, uh, who from America, America's frontline doctors, all the all the doctors who came out and were offering a different opinion about COVID treatment. And they were summarily mocked and shamed and their website was taken down. They were they lost their hosting service. They were completely censored uh, if people tried to share the links the links were taken down but the ire that was directed at her in particular you could see a lot of the racism that is just just beneath the surface on in so in the social justice world when the social justice leftists went after her the kinds of words that they used and the i would say the racism that also fueled that attack it wasn't just an attack on someone because they didn't like their covid stance um yeah, I agree. I'll fight you naked says, as far as I can tell, AOC is the only attractive Wookiee. I think, I think, I think it's why she is their default leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she has. I, so it's interesting, though, because. Her attraction level, maybe I'm just maybe this is TMI, but. To me, her attraction level is like extremely surface. Like it's um, she's got the doe eyes, right? The the deer in the headlights kind of eye thing going on, but um, it like a a quick look, a quick glance, is is semi attractive, but longer than a few seconds of seeing her react, it doesn't matter what she's saying. Um, it quickly looks like an affectation and becomes really extremely unattractive. So 
I'm actually, I'm curious about people who think that she's attractive, like actually attractive, because I do not. Um, she, she goes really quickly from like, in your peripheral vision, like, oh, kind of attractive to a uh, crazy person. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> something's wrong with this person, not attractive anymore. Yeah, uh, her, it doesn't her, take long. Her eyes are a little off. Sometimes also, mm -hmm. I, I'm beginning to think you can see possession in people. You can see it. You know, Josh Slocum on Disaffected, he talks about the a lot of the red flags in terms of um, partially shaved head or uh, brightly dyed hair, like pink or blue, uh, the black glasses. Like he's sort of these tells that they don't mean that if a person has these, that they're necessarily an SJW or a cluster. <laughs> 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 but you look like an SJW often. So yeah, or or a cluster. You're B. our he, spy. He calls them cluster B glasses uh, that people who but they also have a way of looking at the camera. If you look at their profile pics, they're always like they're challenging the camera. He's like, yes, they're oh. challenging it. And they're, they, they stare at it. What's her name? Did a picture like Joy Reid did photos like that recently where she just like, it's like this very narcissistic sort of, um, I'm challenging you the way he talks about, you guys really have to check out his show. If you haven't checked it out yet, he talks about Madonna doing that. The way that she does photo shoots is like challenging the camera. Um, and so you can start to pick up on some of those things, but I also think AOC does that, but she also has just sometimes the eyes are just what they call crazy eyes. I think it's yeah, a, she, a there's, there's the thing. psycho eyes. Yeah, the crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and then they're like the... abnormally open. They're like more open than they should yeah. be, and they don't blink as much. Yeah. And they're very and they're intense. There's like the abnormal there's like that abnormally open, non-blinky thing can also be the landmark craziness, the, the like the like cultish thing. But they seem mm -hmm. to be like they're a little bit more like less they're like less focused. <laughs> yeah. It's eyes, more, and they're just classy like, ah, eye. join our cult. Right. But the what, we're, what you're talking about is that except for it's not less focused. It's like really intently focused. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm massively focused on you. Yeah. They also uh, if you look back at people who I mean, I, I view my time in the SJW world as a kind of possession. Yeah, I was possessed by the ideology and and we've talked about this before, but if you look at my old pictures then versus now, you saw some when you were here for my wedding. I oh. looked, yeah. Guys, Carrie looks younger now than <laughs> she did 20 years ago. But also because I would just look, my eyes looked dead then. Do you right. Know? Yeah, were, you look like, yeah. I fucking hate life. Like literally the, the <laughs> thought bubbles, like I'm like, I hate everything. It's, it's like, you're like grumpy cat. <laughs> like seriously it's even so when you were trying to smile she was her old picture she's smiling but only with her mouth her eyes yeah. are like Ugh, and she's like <laughs> it's really like it's <laughs> i have to laugh at it but yeah it is my preacher it's funny because now you smile and laugh all the time and it's genuine <laughs> it's like it's part of your personality it's really weird to see a picture of you like uh, like, like trying what? to smile like yeah yeah, the uh, my preacher mentioned it because at the wedding at the at the big house he saw the there was it, we I just, we just moved some stuff over there and it wasn't selected for the wedding. We're just trying to 
move my husband into my house. So then we had to move a bunch of stuff out of my house into the other one. And we're, I'm in the middle of moving guys. And there was a photo in the cabinet of me with Al Franken back during my SJW days. And he said, I saw that picture and you just look so like not there, like different. And you, you can see that in the eyes. The eyes are not awake. They're sort of yeah. dead eyes. But yeah, it's anyway. strange. It's strange how true that is. You know, they say that I don't are, understand the physiology of it, but the eyes true. are the window to the soul. They yeah. are. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let me give you my other favorite story. Hold on here. Because um, it's pretty awesome. Where'd it go? Oh, crap. Oh, here it is. All right. All right. Here's the headline. I'm reading it. <laughs> youth group, youth protest group inspired by Greta Thunberg disbands, accusing itself of racism. <laughs> they picked the best photo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even have to read it. The headline is enough. That's all I wanted to see and Wait, show you. Leave that up there awesome. for just one second. You want to read it? it? Back. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wait, read just a little bit of it okay. for me. Under the suggestion and guidance of the BIPOC members of the group, a New Zealand youth environmental protest group inspired by teen activist Greta Thunberg disbanded, accusing itself of racism. School Strike 4, Climate Auckland's chapter wrote on June 12th, School Strike 4, Climate Auckland is disbanding as an organization. This is under the suggestion and guidance of the BIPOC members of our group, BIPOC. as well as individual BIPOC activists and organizations. We are not holding any more climate strikes in the Auckland region. BIPOC communities are disproportionately affected by climate change, so the fight for climate justice should be led by their voices and, and needs, not, and I don't know what this word is, ones. means white New Zealanders, apparently. Uh, okay. Sorry, New, sorry, Marie Busky, I'm, I'm mocking New Zealand language. Um, so yeah, the white, the white New Zealanders here said, hey, climate change disproportionately affects uh, people of color. By the way, true, um, mostly because we don't let them mine coal and build power plants. Uh, but um, yeah, they've disbanded. And that, um, that picture that they chose of Greta Thunberg is particularly funny that you know, they chose one that wasn't very flattering. And she looks like I just sent you a picture to put up. This is who that reminds me of. <laughs> uh, do you send it to me or Beverly or both? You, you and Beverly. Uh, Beverly put it up. You got it. Nellie. Remember <laughs> Nellie? <laughs> From Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> I was going to say, why do I know that face, but I can't place it? It's Little House on the Prairie? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. They could have just put that in the article. <laughs> she looks kind of like Carmelita Spatz. But yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was my good news. I like good this news. idea of, of the leftists oh. disbanding themselves because they're racist. Um, oh, I have a bit of good news, and it's local good news. But oh. I'm going to send this to you. Let me see. Uh, I'm going to read some super chats while you do that. Okay, you Matt do Deckard that. says, it's time for a cluster B SJW photo contest. I could not agree more, Matt Deckard. Yes. It, Matt Deckard, it is time for that. Um, you want to take the take the lead and sponsor i don't know how we how do we do a photo maybe we should have people submit cluster b sjw photos uh yeah why don't we do that of yourself? i would say tweet at us but we don't have a twitter anymore 
So um, we have me and Carter. Tweet them at yeah. Tweet them at C Laren and K S E Mama Jamma. Is that still your Twitter handle? Or did you change it? Yeah, I gotta change it, but that's okay. still it for now. Tweet at me and Carrie. Uh, your your entries for the Cluster B SJW photo contest. All right, Pirate Tomsky says, if you live in a mindset where you believe that everything around you is some form of oppression, no wonder why people are miserable being part of it. Right, right, and and you're responsible for that oppression. Um, so, yeah, the world just sucks when you're woke. All right, you got your, you, you found I what you I sent you an article. Actually, somebody in the chat, Sun King said, if you haven't seen it yet, Carrie, you'd like the old movie about a psycho kid called The Bad Seed. Oh, I've seen The Bad Seed. I love that I movie. That. It's a great movie. Yeah, now it evokes images of Nelly. So, by this... the way, Wonder Freeman points out that nuclear pop power is very popular in Scandinavia, where Thunberg is. <laughs> so, this is an article from uh, the Austin Statesman. Austin American statesman. And this is about my woke city council member who I've mentioned before. And she is horrible. I'll just say her name is, she's a public person. And in fact, in her video, she talks about being in the public spotlight. So I don't feel any shame in in naming her Her name is Rachel genre. She's also responsible for turning the independent bookstore here. Woke uh, the woke bookstore that I've talked about before. But she's on the city council and she's been on it for 10 years and she recently won re-election, but she is now resigning. And this, get that, this is a great news actually that she's resigning. She she was um, grooming and getting other SJWs to run. I'm in one of the SJW groups here. And one of those women that she had running uh, had stepped in and was had taken the place of another council member, was like an interim council member and just lost her election. So she was actually then running to be elected and to be officially there uh, for a term and in my district and lost and uh, lost to someone that Rachel Genre doesn't like at all. Uh, so all of this is good news. She's decided because of that loss that Mary, the SJW she was grooming, wasn't elected. She did a video, a very narcissistic video, by the way. And in the video at the end, she says, uh, because Mary wasn't elected, it shows that, you know, basically she says we're taking steps back from inclusivity because Mary was a diverse voice. Really? A diverse voice? What do you mean by diverse voice? I think you just mean skin color. I think that's what you mean. Um, are you a diverse voice? You know because you're white. Mean. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what she means. She doesn't mean diversity of thought or opinion. She just means skin color. But funny enough, there is a, a Latino guy on the city council who she doesn't like and who, who she's called racist before even though he's Latino because he doesn't share her ideology. So anyway, um, so in this article, I just wanted to read this part to you. Georgetown city council member, Rachel Genre said this week, she plans to resign because of her concerns, her concerns about the Georgetown school district, the stress she has faced on the dais, 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 and her dismay about the results of a recent council election. And then here's the part, scroll down, Beverly, this part, This is about her kids, okay? Now, there's a picture of her, white lady, of course. She said she is moving out of the district so her four children no longer have to attend schools in Georgetown. Quote, almost every week, one of them came home with stories about sexist, racist, homophobic, ableist. They left out ableist. I watched the video. She added ableist, too. 
uh, sexist, racist, homophobic, ableist, transphobic, anti-Islamic, or anti-Semitic comments or actions by students or teachers, she said in a video post on Facebook. Right, because uh, because when the bell rings and class starts and you're expected to be there on time, it's all of those things. Already. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of those things. Today, they wanted us to be on time, Mom. So it was sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic, anti-Islamic, uh, ableist, and anti-Semitic, right? I'm surprised you yes, left out was, xenophobic. Um, they th that that quote that paragraph just made me want to laugh because it's a bunch of buzzwords, but it's actually not saying anything. And it also is to me that's the result of what I've talked about before. When I was in this cult of belief, is they tell you you're supposed to look at the world as this place that is full of oppression and that where you want to you're supposed to divide everybody into groups based on identity. So here she's listing all the identity categories and that you know all these different identity groups are competing for power and that it that the the system of oppression has made it so that some groups have more power than others and that you know that and and then so every group whether it's uh, race, sex, sexuality, uh, she goes into trans, uh, whether it's religion, she goes anti-Islamic, anti-Semitic, that, that all of these different categories are ident of identity are now separated into whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed, and that you have to put on these glasses that help you identify the oppression everywhere and go out into the world and find it. Every day you find it, that's your job. Like the job of a critical race theorist is to go out and find the racism. They say They say the question is not, did racism occur? The question is, how did racism occur? So it's presumed that it always occurred. So her kids are growing up with someone who's just like if you grew up in a Christian household, you learn the Christian belief system. They have learned social justice belief system. They go to that school every day with their glasses on. And imagine what that, I mean, I, it doesn't take much of an imagination to say, oh, of course they come home every day. And it's like, mom's like, what did you learn? What, did, what happened today? Oh, you won't believe the sexist remark that so-and-so made. I mean, it's just like constantly, it's your job to find it and bring it home like dead birds that a dog brings to the house every day for mom. Like, I'm bringing you these gifts, mom. Here's all the sexism and homophobia and anti-Semitic and uh, anti-Islamic comments that happened today. Like, what a miserable way to go about. What It's miserable to have that belief system. Like I said, I had dead eyes when I was in it. But to put it in your kids... To put it in your kids. Oh, I mean, uh, think about this. This is a form of grooming where she's grooming paranoia. Yeah. Right? I mean, can you imagine living in a house with your mom like that? First of all, they come home at the dinner table. It's got to be like, what racist, homophobic, bigoted things did you hear at school today? Yeah. Right? I mean, and like, and, and so it's, she's grooming these kids to have their radar turned to 11 for stuff. And just yeah. see racism everywhere. It's 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 got to create a massive level of anxiety and paranoia. And I will go on record saying I I would be shocked if her children don't end up on anxiety medication if they're not already. They're probably already on years. there, and that's probably why she at one point she said her kids belong to some of these categories. Um, I'm assuming maybe ableism. They maybe they're on psych meds or something, and she views the ableist comments as being against them. I don't know, but and some you know if they're a woman, oh, then there's sexist comments. If they're a girl, but the the thing is, don't hear me wrong. Sexism exists, racism exists. Like obviously we know this, but this belief system tells you it's everywhere. It's under every rock, and that it is the lens through which you view the world, instead of 
instead of viewing the world, like there's competing belief systems you could have, um, you know, you could have a Christian worldview, you could have, Carter, how would you describe your view, worldview? Anarcho-capitalist, rational. rational, rational worldview. <laughs> yeah, you could have, but this says, this says, no, you go out and the, the way to interpret the world and interact with it is to accept that the world is a place where identity groups compete for power and that some have more power than others and that there's oppression happening all around you all the time and you have to look for it and find it and it's all based on what skin color people are and what gender they are and so in order to upset that power imbalance between groups you have to judge people differently on the basis of race and sex and treat them differently it, it turns you into racist and sexist when it says it's fighting those things it's horrible it's a horrible thing to put into your kids i think so and then it makes yeah. it so that they can't judge when when a racist thing actually happens it's like how do you even tell because you're so trained to look for it everywhere that you're like the boy who cried wolf and 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 it it makes a mockery well, of actual sexism and racism because you're seeing it all the time and you're taking it so seriously that, yeah. like j jokes and things that aren't really oppressive assuming her kids are white mm -hmm. um i think she's also prepping them to be literal white supremacists because there's going to be an age of rebellion where they don't like some of this if this is how they're being treated yeah and the appeal that they're only going to have the framework of of looking at everything through race because that's what they've been taught and so there will be an appeal of like wait a minute instead of being the bad guy maybe my race is the good guy and there's no because obviously individualism isn't an option for her so i actually think she's priming them some of them may stick with the sjw stuff but like I don't know. She's probably priming some of them to during a period of rebellion. Go, yeah. Go to the other Extreme. racist side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that is the big fear. I mean, that's the reason that's one of the reasons a lot of people who speak out against social justice ideology, especially liberals who speak out against it, classical liberals, is because we know for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, you know, we've talked about that fear before of, of it provoking, pushing people into another racist extreme it's like well, i'm leaving this racist extreme i'm going to this other one they have so much in common anyway but one puts white people down here and one puts white people up here maybe i'll go over to that one you know and right. and and they both create the false dichotomy that you can only choose between these two awful evil racist extremes it's like oh you're social justice or you're with the white supremacist patriarchy no <laughs> no yeah. both are wrong they're two sides of the same wrong coin Someone in chat is asking, uh, is making a comment about what do we tell you about assuming? I assume her kids are white for the, and, and I think I have good reason to assume, A, she's white, so at least half the genes white, and B, if they weren't white, she would say something about it because that's the kind of person she is. She is, yeah. She would talk about her kids of color and how they're yeah. oppressed. And she hasn't, which means they're white. So that's, that's why my assumption is justified. All right. Uh, are we... I think we should wrap it up. I think it's time. It's been over two hours. I got to go pack. I got to get to New Hampshire uh, for Pork Fest, which is not the bacon extravaganza I was hoping it was. It turns out to be a libertarian festival. But hey, <laughs> still sounds good. Um, <laughs> Carrie, any last things we should tell people and remind them of? Uh, book Club is coming up. We're reading Catch-22. 
And what date is that? Did you you have the date in front of you? Uh, yes, I do. Catch twenty two is on July eleventh. July eleventh. You still have time to join. You can go to unsafespace.com to the book club page. It is free to join and participate, and we would love to have you. Um, and then also, uh, you already said Park Fest. Oh, if you if you want to support the show financially, you can do so at unsafespace.com. We have a donate page with lots of different options. Um, but you can also just share the videos and tell people about the show. We ha- are still banned on Twitter, but we are on the other platforms and the alternative platforms. You can find us there. So that's all. Yes. Um, and to answer Pirate Thompson's question, I do not know if Porkfest is streaming anywhere. I doubt it because it's a sprawling festival-like thing. They, maybe they're streaming some stuff from the main stage for a couple times. Um, but not to my knowledge we might film some stuff we're gonna try and bring a camera we might actually film some stuff we'll see so oh uh well i think i think we're gonna try and, i should talk to beverly about it. keith has mics i'm gonna bring a zoom recorder we might bring a camera we'll see so everyone have a great week carrie i will see you in yeah. a couple days again it's it's weird i get to see you again i know i just saw you I'm so sorry. i was uh, looking for one final thing but i can't find it so let's just end oh, okay All right. Cool. But yeah, I get to see you very soon. Yay. All righty. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators will report to the Enrichment Center immediately to receive a surprise. I am disappointed that you are still watching. I have made a note of this failure in your record. Experts agree that critical race theory is not a deadly neurotoxin. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.